Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, very nice to have you guys join us today. Uh, we are entering the series of Advent, and uh, Advent is traditionally as when you take the time to start remembering uh, both Christ's first coming, uh, when he first came to this earth, uh, and by doing so, opening the way uh, by for him to be giving his life so that we can have eternal life. Um, but the other part of Advent is trying to remember Christ coming again, uh, when he'll return again, and he'll... Uh, judge the earth, and also it will be the end of this earth's timeline and actually an invitation into the eternal uh, life with Christ. Um, and as we go through this series of Advent, uh, the first one that we're talking about is actually hope. And so I was thinking a lot about, about hope recently, and I started, I think for the longest time, I've been hoping for the wrong things. So normally when we think of hope, we think of something that we would really like to happen, um, and it's somewhere in between wanting and wishing, isn't it? Like, oh, I really hope um, Liverpool win the league this year. Um, and uh, we can look at that and think, oh, yeah, that's be really wonderful. I'd be really happy about that. I hope that happens. Um, maybe that will happen. I have no real power in making that happen, but I can hope. And it's funny because this year they might actually win, but I've been hoping that for years and years. Uh, and every year they say, don't talk about it because it might not happen. Um, I remember when I was growing up and around Christmas, when we think about hoping, we hope we can get a certain gift uh, for Christmas. We hope maybe my, my parents will really spend this year's money and actually buy me the Lego castle set. Um, and I really hope really hard, and I might circle it in the magazines, because this was before the internet. You could make a wish list, and people would just see that. No, I'd have to circle the magazine, leave the magazine open, and hope that my parents will see it and somehow they will want to buy me things. Um, again, that hope might have been a little bit misguided um, because there's no certainty in it. You're kind of just wishing or wanting very strongly. Um, in, in other areas, I think we hope for certain things to happen. I remember a few years ago during the Malaysian elections, uh, there was a real hope uh, that there would be a change in the government. And it's really interesting because uh, the guy in charge had been there for years and years and years and uh, politically had made sure he couldn't be overthrown. And yet... Uh, People were hoping that there would be a change, and there was. There was a new election, very similar to uh, Hong Kong's most recent elections. Uh, there was a sense of hope or wanting some sort of change. Uh, and in that case, some things kind of happened. But what's funny is for all these things about hope, you can hope for this direction, and you might have this election or this change, but it doesn't necessarily change anything else from then on. Uh, there haven't been major reforms so far yet in Malaysia. Uh, the Hong Kong Democratic elections are actually very limited in the scope and their power. And so, again, it feels like the hope still continues. We're yearning for things. Uh, in America, uh, President Obama's first election campaign was really built on hope. There's a picture of his face and the word hope underneath it. So he was really trying to say, you know, we can believe that there's hope. There's going to be change. Um, then eight years later, uh, there's a new guy in office. Uh, and now a lot of people are hoping that he leaves. But a lot of people were hoping that he would be elected. And so you have this thing, well, well, if one side hopes for this, then another side hopes for that. Or if I hope for this, but someone else is hoping for something different, like what does it all kind of mean? So my realization was that actually I think I spend most of my life and most of my time hoping for the wrong things. Like I'm putting my hope for a personal desire, like something that I want for myself. And it's natural for us to think this way because we are – I think essentially very selfish individuals. We want to think about what's best for us. Even, for example, as much as I love my kids and I, and I hope the best for them, in the back, back, back part of my mind, I also hope, oh, 
and I hope that if they work hard and make money, they will take care of me when I'm old. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I love, I have, they have the freedom to do whatever they want and things like that. But in the back of my mind, part of it is because I hope, because I know if they're happy, I will be happy, and maybe they'll also help look after me. Like, I don't want to sound selfish, but I know internally I am. And the thing is, when we talk about hope, so many things, the things that we hope for are very self-centric. I hope that I get married, or I hope that I have kids, or I hope that I have a good job, or I hope that I graduate, or I hope that I pass this test I didn't study for. And you start realizing some of the things that we hope for are uncertain. Like, there's no guarantee about these things. The interesting thing is, actually, the definition of hope implies that there is some certainty to this happening. Uh, Hope itself, and this is in the uh, Cambridge Dictionary, um, to want something to happen or to be true, which is normally what we think hope is, And usually have a good reason to think that it might. There should be this percentage of certainty with hope, actually. Hope can't just be grounded in wishing or wanting or rubbing a magic lamp and hoping some genie pops out and, you know, turns, you know, me into a prince. Like, that's not going to happen. But hope and true hope needs to have some sort of possibility of happening. I think there's a little bit more to that. So the more and more I thought about hope and what that means, I I started realizing, God, is there something in life that we should hope for with a certainty that it will come true? Now, where I want to go with this is actually a passage in Romans. And it doesn't sound particularly Christmassy to start with. Um, It uh, might reflect slightly the Isaiah 9 too, but um, I felt really compelled to talk about this passage in Romans, Romans chapter 8, which is if you ask me, is, is really one of the main cruxes in the whole book of, of Romans. And Romans is written by uh, the Apostle Paul. And uh, as he's laying out um, both the path that we live as Christians and what it means to follow him and, and the cost of sin and things like that, uh, in Romans 8 is where he comes to that main point of like, well, this is what this means. This is the repercussions of it. I'm going to pick up from Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Um, and it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Ah, good point, right? You don't hope for what you already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Now, in this passage, actually, in in this excerpt that I've taken out, uh, the word I actually want to focus on is not hope, but the word groan groaning. So the word groaning shows up three times. One in terms the creation is groaning, that we ourselves are groaning, and the spirit groans. Now, groaning is probably a word that's slightly fallen out of fashion. I think a lot of times what we think of groaning is the person who's complaining all the time. Oh, I can't believe I had to wake up so early to come to church. Oh, I can't believe I had to scrape ice off my car. Oh, I can't believe it's so cold. I can't believe that's so dark. You know, that's what we normally think of groaning groaning actually needs to convey something, something deeper. I think the, the picture that we get of groaning is this almost anguishing, like this, this deep internal yearning and, and, and almost pain. But you want something so desperately. Or you, you, you need something so desperately because you know that that would change the world around us. 
so when we think about that, when we think about groaning, some examples we might see of it is uh, when we look at the protesters in Hong Kong, and, and whichever side of the spectrum you think on, what you can notice about these protesters in Hong Kong is that they're groaning. They're yearning so desperately for something that they're trying to act out in this way. When we look at uh, Greta Thunberg and her uh, plea for climate change, she's out there protesting or she's trying to stir up the world, but really what's coming from her heart is, is this groaning anguish that this world cannot continue the way it is because it will mean the end of human civilization, maybe not the end of the world. This kind of groaning, the other place we see in the Bible is, is Jesus almost, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's praying and he's asking God, God, if possible, take this cup for me, but again, not my will but yours. He is anguishing and lamenting and pouring out for something more desperate. You understand now, right? When we can really think about something that we are really groaning for, really yearning for, it's that that we need to be hoping that there's a solution to. And so the question is, if if the question again is, well, what, maybe I've been hoping for the wrong things, and I really want to say, okay, God, what is the greatest lament or groan that I could have? What is the worst thing that is going on that my heart should groan for because that is the greatest hope that will come out of it. I can complain that my phone is old. I get a new phone. Oh, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be like temporarily happy. It'll be great, like super. But that's, that doesn't seem like that should be it, right? Like if, if my bulk of my life is groaning that I don't have stuff, I feel like I'm, I'm missing the point of my existence. Or the desire for seeing actually God in a greater way. So then let's look at the, the, the farthest end. An example of this is like this. Some people always ask me, Bert, how do you go buy a guitar? I'll tell you how I go into buy a guitar. I go in the guitar shop, and I pick up the most expensive guitar there, the most expensive one. And, well, first I'll pick up the cheapest guitar. I'll play that for a second, and I'll quickly put it down. Then I'll go, and I'll pick up the most expensive one, the one where when you pick it up, all the shopkeepers look at you, and then they walk over to you and say, can you take off your jacket, please? Uh, it's fine to play that. And I'll say, oh, can you... Uh, can you unlock it so I can take it down? And they're like, okay. Uh, and then they pick it up. And the reason you get the most expensive one is because when you hear the most expensive instrument played and you can feel it and you hear it, you're like, oh, this is the good stuff. And then, of course, you look at your wallet and then say, okay, I'll put that back down. now." So my scale is somewhere between here and there because you don't want to buy a cheap guitar that you think sounds good when in reality, compared to something great, it is too far away. You want to find something that's closer to what you can afford that's good. In our prayers, we spend too much time praying for the small things and hoping for these small things or wishing or treating prayer like a wishing well, like say, oh, Jesus, uh, give us this. And God is saying, is your heart lamenting or groaning for something deeper? Because the miracle of this hope is that actually the deepest groan that we can have, our hope is certain in Christ. And we'll unfold this now. The first part of this starts with this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right to the present time. In other words, there is this this moaning that they want the pain and the suffering to end. Um, You know, the greatest thing of of childbirth is not the process of labor. I I never heard a a mom say to me, oh, you know, I just love the labor part. Like, I feel like that was the best part of having a child. Like, so wonderful just being in pain for 12, 13, 14, 18, 20 hours. Just an indescribable pain. And all the husbands are like, oh, yeah, I guess it hurts. It must hurt. And, we, and all the women are like, you don't understand. Like, 
the, the whole purpose, and when I asked my wife, like, what, what got her through that? She said, the reason you get through labor is because you know at the end there will be, you know, this life. And you're pushing towards that goal. This groaning here with, with civilization and creation is saying there is this anguish in creation itself that is yearning for that anguishing to end so that this life can be there. So we think, well, what is creation? And we're talking about creation generally. We can see actually the effects of sin on creation has been so damaging in that now there is this, this end to things. There is death. There is enmity. There is uh, destruction. And we see humanity's effect on creation. And we see the world uh, struggling or affecting itself in climate, climate, climate ways that are really destructive. And you can sense this, this groaning and the sense of like the harmony is, is broken. The, the, the life that maybe was designed for this earth has been knocked out of sync. The brokenness of the world, sin itself, brings death into this world. So before, before Adam and Eve, you know, the, the world was in this harmony. There was this perfection. There was this balance. There was paradise there. But because of sin, and as sin entered the world, it made mankind in enmity with the world. Creation itself found itself struggling. There was toil. There was death. And all these things come into the place. We begin to see that actually the things that our heart maybe should be groaning for, if it's the same as creation, is that we would want sin to end. It, again, if we look just, you just look at the climate change people, and yeah, maybe disagree with some of their tactics. But what they're trying to say is, look, somehow we are taking resources faster from this planet than is able to replenish them. You know, we're, we're, we're bleeding them dry. It's like your boss at your office making you work way too hard than is physically possible, and yet they're just using you to the end of your extent. And the way we treat the earth is doing that same way. And, and we do that not because, you know, we just like doing that, but there's a sinfulness in humanity that is affecting God's creation in this way. And for creation itself, it's still this yearning for that to come to this end. They want an end to this kind of brokenness. Immediately after in Romans 8.23, it says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Oh, very complicated statement. There's a lot of Christian-y words in here. But what's saying is this. We who are Christians, one of the most amazing things is that we are first fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that the Holy Spirit that God has given us to those who believe, that has made us children of God that we see in the first part of Romans chapter 8, this makes us, the, we receive the first fruits of the Spirit. The first blessing, the first wave of the Spirit has come into us. And we are the first fruits to be born into this new life that is no longer cut off by sin. But the second part of this is this. We are groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. I guess the best way to explain that is understanding that sin itself, though defeated by Christ, still wreaks havoc in our lives and in the lives around us. One of the most amazing things about being a Christian is that we are holy. That's why the Spirit can dwell in us. We are not sinners anymore in one sense. We have been completely set free. We know that we are victorious over sin. But on the other hand, so much of our life we still give to sin. Like I'm a Christian— but I know that there's still so much of me that is selfish, that is proud, that is judgmental, that thinks I'm better than someone else. And, and, and we can become so comfortable with that thinking. 
And when you become comfortable with that kind of thinking, you're just letting the sin that God has already broken free just dwell in your life. Like we come satisfied with this. This passage is trying to say, no, no, you should still be groaning inwardly, yearning for the day when you are not like that anymore, when you're not impatient and fighting with people, when you're not greedy or selfish, when you're not worried about whether or not you have enough money and trying to gamble so you can get more, when you're not stressed about these things because you have this great faith in Christ. What I'm starting to learn is, is, is the way I approach my life is, has been so still, so self-centric. Like, I, I, want, I want things for myself, and I want a life for myself. The flip side of this is, is not that it's not perfectly self-centric, but it's rather, God, I am, I'm at my best when you have the greatest glory that could be experienced through my life. Like, when I am walking completely with you and you are most glorified, that is actually when I'm going to be best. And so my groan inwardly becomes, God, actually, I, I really don't want to be this sinful attitude anymore. I, I don't want to still let that rule over my life. I still want to think about people that way. I don't want to treat men or women with this kind of wrong kind of attitude. I don't want to still have racist perspectives on things. I want to really see and know the freedom from those kind of attitudes and beliefs. Like the, the hungrier you are for that, and the more you groan towards that, the more you'll cry out and say, God, is there hope? Can I really be changed from that? Can I really be pure? Like the, the promise here is that you, you, you are. The first fruit of the Spirit means that, yeah, is God's hope for you. And it's a hope that is not uncertain. Because he has already made it certain. You just have to step into that reality. See, is there a groaning within us? You know, this, this lamenting frustration towards a sin we still let have control over our lives. Like, when you think about Christmas presents and, and Black Friday, and you're like, oh yeah, this year I'm going to buy this, or I'd like to buy this, or there's a sale here, so I want to get this. You know, like, like, we spend so much time on that. Let me think about, let, let me explain it this way. I spend a lot of time maybe researching what kind of phone, what kind of watch, what kind of TV I, I would want to have, um, what kind of clothes you want to wear. And, and, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd like to replace my clothes with this, or I'd like to buy this, or fashion trends or this. And there's nothing wrong with buying that. But I realize I spend a lot more energy thinking about those things than things that really matter. And just on a small scale, like your teeth. Like, do you guys really think about your teeth? And, like, this, you only get one set pretty much after the adult teeth come in, and that's it. And do you know the pain that you get when your teeth go bad? Like, the pain is really bad. And yet we spend, it's like, 10 million times more time thinking about what we could buy than thinking about, oh, maybe I should brush my teeth. You might buy an electric toothbrush, but you might not spend two minutes brushing your teeth every day, right? You, you understand. If we really say, God, actually, what is the greatest thing that I should be investing my life in? or thinking about, he's saying you should be lamenting over the sin in your life and yearning more and more for the goodness of God to be seen in you. Like becoming and becoming more and more like the, the diamond that he has and shaping you into, as opposed to being sat satisfied and settling for these things. It's like that passage, what, what does it gain the, whole, the man to, if, he, if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And, and I think for us, 
it doesn't matter whatever job you're doing, whatever, whatever life you're doing, you can do those things, but your lament should still be, God, how, how can I still be so frustrated or lamenting over the sin in my own life so that I, I gladly take hold of the joy that you have for me instead? What that looks like in an emotional way, let's say you're struggling with, with emotional wounds or frustration or bitterness or unforgiveness, or you're still pining for a relationship that's gone, or you're dealing with a breakup or a loss, you know, those are really hard, right? Because on one hand, mentally, you can be like, yeah, yeah, I, I know I put that aside. But emotionally, you're still so caught up in that. What you're doing, you're just saying, God, okay, I know, actually, it's not that my emotions are sinful, but rather, I, I, I don't trust you. My faith in you isn't there. And I lament, God, because I know that I just don't have the faith that you are good enough. Lamenting doesn't mean that you are fixing the problem. Lamenting means you are crying out and you are groaning because you are are not satisfied with that position. And the reason we do that is because there's this, this beautiful thing. And, and before we get to that, this, this verse, Romans 8, 24, 25. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. See, when you are yearning and lamenting, it doesn't mean that it's, it's gone right away. The hope here that he's talking about is, is what I was saying before. It is not a maybe it'll happen kind of hope, or maybe if I wish hard enough, it's going to hope. This hope is guaranteed by Christ. Because if his death on the cross and his resurrection and the spirit coming into our life means that the hope that we have for the breakthrough against sin is a guaranteed victory. So, so you understand, then when you are crying out, you're lamenting, you're knowing like, actually, I do this and I can wait patiently because I know that that hope is certain. Like, this is the craziest part. We are not used to having certain hope. We're very used to having hope that we hope happens, right? But having a hope that we're like, actually, we know without a doubt that this will happen. And so I will be patient. I can be patient. Not only can I be patient, but I can yearn and lament that that day happens faster and that God is shaping me more like that. We know we are saved already, but the fullness of that hope, the fullness of seeing what that is, is yet to be fully realized. It's why heaven then becomes even more delightful. But at the same time, when you experience it here on earth, you are even more delighted. You're like, oh, I've been waiting, and I can see now how much I've changed. Sin is defeated, and yet whilst we are here on earth, sin is still present. Now, the personal lament, the personal lament against the sin in your life, that is great and important. But the other part is lamenting for the sin that we see in the world around us. And we've talked about this the past couple of weeks. Like, you know when we see, like, people warring against each other or constantly spreading lies, even in the UK government with this election coming, it's so hard to tell what's true and what's not true. And, and our lament is this, our complaining is this, Oh, politicians, oh, it just feels hopeless, feels useless. And we're groaning and complaining on that level. And I'm saying, you are not groaning in the right direction. You're complaining about these things, but really what you should be groaning about is, God, how has sin taken such a deep hold in our institutions that these things are allowed to happen? And then our desire, our, our cry out our heart is, God, will you break that hold of sin over these people's lives? And your victory can be seen in that. You know, like, your, your hope then is not in somehow 
Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn say the right things on TV or have manifestos that they can actually execute. Your, your prayer becomes so much, Christ, may you be known and seen and glorified in these people's lives. Because in doing so, the power of sin gets broken. Like the biggest problem in this world today is sin. Like the biggest problem we have in this world, the reason things are such a mess in this world is because of sin. It's sin that breeds greed or pride or hate or violence who starts thinking it's okay to kill someone just because you're mad at them, because your beliefs are different. Why a terrorist can be let out of prison and slash people on London Bridge. Like somehow, that, we look at that and we say, oh, it's because of this, it's because of that. It's because of sin. And, and our lament then has to be like, God, I, I hate that. I hate the sin that's in this world. I hate that our world functioned this way. I hate that our world has become so numb to the effects of sin that they just write it off as something else. Instead, it has to be, God, please. Please, will you break through? Would that victory be seen? Will they know that actually the things they're chasing are empty? You understand, right? It becomes two parts. One is lamenting over the sin that you see in the world, but that will always bring you back to the lament that you know in your own life. God, in the same way, you know, I might say that this world is selfish and greedy, and you look back at yourself and say, yeah, and I'm totally selfish and greedy too. I'm so focused on my self-interest that I, I lose sight of actually, God, I need deeper purification, deeper polishing. I want to become a clearer piece of glass for you. And the brokenness in this world that we see is this selfishness or this pride or this hate or this bitterness or this greed. And these things you can see in the world, but you can also see in yourself. And it's becoming unsatisfied that any elements of these things exist in your life. It doesn't mean you beat yourself down, but it becomes like, God... I lament, I groan that I still think this way. That I still accept that that's an acceptable way for me to live. And yet there's this hope. Now see, if we stop there, and I think a lot of churches like to stop there because they're like, you'll go away and you all feel bad about yourselves and then hopefully you'll change your behavior and I'll feel like, oh good, we've had some behavioral change. Oh indeed, my sermon of making you feel bad has worked, yes. Um, but actually the passage doesn't stop there. In fact, the passage takes it and demonstrates why we have this hope. In the same way, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Like God doesn't say, oh actually it's all just down to how badly you want it. The Spirit itself laments on our behalf on a deeper level and i think that's in the same way is is this you know if you don't if you don't care about that sin it's not that god doesn't care about that sin but you're not asking the spirit to help you in this process but in the same way in the same way if you look at your life and it's like actually this is it god i'm i'm i i'm so full of lust that i see people of the opposite gender in an unhealthy way god i, I don't want that anymore I, I can't have that in my life. In the same way, the Spirit says, yes, thank you for expressing your weakness to me. And I lament on your behalf. I intercede and I groan as well that this is not satisfying. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Do you understand what a great hope that is? 
it's not about how desperate we are or how much change we can do ourselves. But it's actually when you ask God, the Spirit himself, as it's crying out, as you are crying out, the Spirit amplifies that. And God who knows the will is like, yeah, great. Then let me fulfill this hope and this promise so that you can and you will be changed. You will be transformed. The power of God is that he has overcome and destroyed sin. We are not victims to it anymore. We are not conquered by it. We're not trapped by it anymore. We have freedom from sin. And, and the reality then is then, okay, God, oh, you are so good. So I cry out and I say, yeah, I, don't, I can't have the sin in my life anymore. I, don't, I can't have these attitudes. I can't let this be part of my character. God, when you break me free from that, the Spirit says, yes, then I am helping you. And I'm crying out in that same depth, in that same way. The Spirit of God actually cries out deeper than we can ourselves. Like, how wonderful is that promise? There are times when I think I know what I want. Like, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I think this is what I want. If I, if I, if I do this, I'll be really happy. You know, like, if I get into this school for my university, I'll be happy. Or if this happens to me, uh, some of you guys might know this. You say, oh, if I date this girl, I'll be really happy. And then you start dating that person. You're like, oh, actually, I'm not happy. This is not what I wanted, right? You know, like, we think we know what we want. The beautiful thing is this. We're saying, God, actually, I, I think, it's, I think I'm, I'm selfish. Or I think I'm, I'm greedy. And as we're crying out, the Spirit cries out even deeper. Actually, you know what it is? It's not that you're selfish, you're greedy but you don't know what love is. You're insecure. You feel lonely. And then the Spirit comes along and he's just groaning those things out. It is then providing greater access for God to do his perfecting work in your own life. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. So the Father God actually knows what the Spirit is saying because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. In other words, this beautiful picture of both the Father and the Spirit, and later we'll see the Son, having the same will, and if we are his people, like that is being transmitted to us as well. That last line, the spirit of God intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. means that if we belong to God, the promise is that we will be brought directly in line with God's will. And God's will for us is to know the freedom that comes from no longer being a slave to sin. In other words, the greatest lament that we could have, which is the existence of sin in our lives, or existence of sin in this world, Christ is promising the victory over. So that's supposed to inspire us to see, wow, why aren't I crying out to God more for this? Yeah, yeah, it's true. God, I want you to help my marriage. Or God, I I want you to help my my kids know you. Or God, I want you to help me in, in my work. Yeah, God hears those prayers, but why don't you go deeper? God, show me where I, am, I have gone wrong from you. Reveal to me so that I can lament those things, so that you can bring that healing in my life. Because I tell you what, you know what? As God shapes your life, the other things start becoming better. You know, when you walk closer to God, and your love and your relationship with God is stronger, and you're walking in grace and your love, your children see that. Your children know. And they, they want that same thing. My family members, you know, even though we were growing up, we had a moment where a lot of us and some of us in, in my family still don't know how close we are with God. But we always look at my mom. And we might now look at my dad and we say, wow, 
even though we feel lost sometimes, we can see that their love for God, that still inspires us. When we were doing youth work, the biggest complaint among the teens were, oh, yeah, I want to be a Christian. I feel like what you guys say is true. But when I look at my mom and dad, I just see what hypocrites they are. And I feel like I never want to come to church again. And I think, oh, uh, can't help you there. But uh, please follow Jesus. Um, in, in your marriages, you know, the more you pursue God, the more you say, actually, God, convict me on what I need to change, the more that opens doors for your own marriage to be, to be shifted and transformed too. Now we are fighting them. Oh, no, why don't you let the kids come to church? I think we should go to church. That's not, that's not the love of God in your life. It's saying, actually, God, in my areas of my life where I am sinful or prideful or arrogant or, or think that I'm just better than my spouse, Lord, convict me so that I can be more humble and more gracious. You understand, it is, it is sin that divides. It is sin that is tearing everything apart. And our lament has been more and more like, God, I, I can't stand it. Like, I can't stand seeing this world so full of sin. You've got to be like my wife when she comes home and sees a mess. She can be like, I can't stand this mess. Can you clean it up? And I'm like, oh, I, I don't care. It doesn't make a difference to me. We have to be the same way where it's like, God, I can't stand this sinful mess in my life. I need to clean that up. You want to have that same attitude. You want to have someone keep coming around saying, you should clean this up. You should clean this up. You yourself have to be like, God, I am desperate to have this cleaned up. It's why after this, in the verses following, and it says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now, I, I, I will say, in many modern worship songs, when we say this, a lot of people like to think it, sing it very selfishly. Oh, yeah, God works for the good for me because I'm me, and I know God's my servant, and he's going to do whatever I want, and I pray, and then he give me money, and he'll get me out of my tax debt, just like Kanye West. You know, all that stuff is really good. I pray for these things. It'll be awesome. That's totally not what he's saying here. Like this whole thing he's saying, look, if you are lamenting against sin, and you know that that's the biggest thing, the victory of Christ, the goodness that he's talking about is actually goodness. Like God is working good in your life so that you are further and further away from sin. If you ask me, there is no greater desire I would want from God. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the house. I don't care about the security. I don't care about the safety, right? Because if God is saying, you know what, Bert? I'm working the sin further and further out of your life so that you know just the power of his victory. Gosh, that's the best thing, isn't it? That'd be the best thing ever when you know you can walk with this absolute clarity and the perfection. Because when you see Jesus, when you see Jesus, that is exactly what he looks like, right? He is so clear because there's no sin clouding his position or his judgment or his understanding. He's so clear. He's full of peace, even in suffering. Even while he's lamenting and anguishing, he's lamenting and anguishing for the sin that he sees in the world and that the cost of it would be his own life. And yet in that thing, he is seeing how God and the power of God's goodness is still greater than that. So when I read that and I say, and God works for the good of those who believe, it gives you hope to say like, yeah, actually, God, you are transforming me. And not only that, I believe you can transform this world and the sin that we see in it. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And all this predestination, called, and justified, this is all just trying to affirm the fact that if you know Jesus, if you follow him, it is guaranteed. This hope is guaranteed. It is not a maybe it'll happen predestined, called, justified, glorified, it is a promise. Our hope is not some wishy-washy hope. Our hope is fact in this promise from God that those who believe in him will be saved. The good of those who love him, that is, we are being conformed more to the image of Christ. So the question is then, like, what are, what are we saying? How do we say it? And in this passage, it talks so much about how we are conquerors, how we are children of God. And it says, our first prayer is then, God, I'm desperately hoping to be more like Christ. And I'm certain that you are making that happen and that it will be fully done. Do you understand? That's the two parts. First is that we're not there yet, but God is making that happen. But God will also guarantee that that happens. It means that on here on earth, we can't be lazy and be like, well, I'm just going to be like this because I know it's guaranteed at the end. Because you want to be lamenting and, and almost suffering that you want this sin to be out of your life so that you are shaped more like him. And then the passage goes on and says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, again, this is not like, if God's for me, who can be against us? No matter what, in my exams, I'm going to conquer it because, you know, God is for me. That's not, he's, again, he's saying, if God is for you against sin, if in your battle against sin, God is on your side and Christ is resurrected from the dead, conquering death, then pursue it. Move forward knowing that you are a conqueror, that you are victorious in Christ against sin. You are not still a sinner. You're broken free from that. You have this power to be saying, God, I, am, I know you have the power to completely shift and change me, so let me move in that way. God, let me keep moving away from this sin that I still let have power over my life, and let me just know and live greater in that victory. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Like, how... If God gave Jesus so that we could be broken free from sin, I'm pretty sure what he wants most for us is to live in that freedom from sin. And if we're asking him, can you set us free from the sin? He is saying, yes. In the same way the spirit is lamenting, I also am bringing you forward in that way. And then who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Right? You've got the Holy Spirit interceding, groaning for us. You've got Christ Jesus interceding. And you've got God himself who's saying, yeah, this is what I want to happen. For you guys to break free from the sin that holds you or so easily entangles you or clouds your mind, or clouds your attitude, the things that hold you back, your bitterness, your unforgiveness. It, it's where God is saying, yeah. His greatest desire is for you to walk in this freedom. No, Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. He's also interceding of us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any other powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation would be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is both that promise, knowing that we are forever with Christ, but also that promise that even as we struggle or reject sin's power in our life, he continues to pull us closer to him. It's this recognition that, you know, we are Christ's. We belong to him. And again, when you rewind and you look maybe in your personal level, the issues that you're dealing with, but if you look wider on this global earthy scale, whether it's politics here in this country or troubles within your workplace, you're saying, God, I am yours. And so the sin that I think is winning here in this place, God, will you triumph over it? I have no taste for evil, but I only have love for your goodness. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir to the kingdom. Nothing will separate me from God's love. Hope in Christ means we boldly march alongside him as conquerors over sin. There is this victory in our lamenting. Even as we anguishly cry out, God, break this. It's like, yeah, because God, my hope that you will is a guarantee and a promise because I know you actually will. Hope in Christ means we lament against sin in our lives and in the world, knowing that the Spirit laments in power and truth. When I, when I, when I, when I pray and cry out, in my case, because I'm, I'm American still, when I pray and cry out in, for Donald Trump, I will say in the beginning it was much more out of anger and rage and like frustration. But my lament changed because I realized, oh, I'm just judging him all the time. My, my lament became much more, God, will you, will you use this? So your name will be glorified. Will you, will you transform his life as well? Will you save him? Will you save his kids? Because that breaks the power of sin over their life. And me praying that is one thing. But when you know the spirit itself is lamenting against sin in this whole world, it's like, oh yeah, I'm praying. But how awesome is it to know that God himself laments over the same thing. And I'm coming alongside him in that way. Live life in active hope against sin. You can't live in cynicism and just complaining and thinking that the world is doomed. But rather, there's this, this life that has to be in us as Christians. Like, you know, you don't have to be stuck in this way forever. You don't have to be stuck in this attitude. You know, Jesus comes to save. Jesus has saved me. I used to be this way, but now I'm this way. And it's because of Jesus. Like, Jesus is really, really that good. For us, and this is going to be multiple levels, as we respond in worship and we come to God, if you know, and it, okay, let's start with this. When you come now and you respond in worship, when you pray, say, God, let my heart groan against sin in the same way that you do. Let me not be satisfied to settle for sin in my life. And we, when you reveal those areas of sin in my life, God, will your Holy Spirit Show me its power in actually breaking me free from that. Start there. As you pray, as as that lament begins to spread out and say, like, actually, God, in this world, when I see these people, when I see the, the death or the heartache and the brokenness, God, my lament is pouring out because I want to see your goodness and your power break over the sin that holds these people still trapped in their 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 hurt and their lies. And that process begins to say, God, I believe in your victory. And I know 
that you have triumphed, and my hope is completely found in you, Christ. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we put our hope in you, actually. There's no more point trying to put our hope in, in, in politicians or in governments or in monetary systems, Lord. But our hope really has to be set completely and fully and wholly in the fact that you are the one who is victorious over sin. So, so Lord Jesus, we, we come before you and, and say, Holy Spirit, will your lament, will your groaning against sin, may we be in tune with that. May you begin speaking to our lives the areas that we've become so complacent, that we begin to think like it's okay for us to be this way. But God, in our pursuit of knowing that there is this victory in you, Lord, may we walk in this boldness and this courage to say, God, actually more and more shaped into your image, more and more Christ-like, to take on that fullness of what it means to be a brother or sister of you. We thank you, Lord, because we know that you are victorious. So even as we come to the season of Advent, Lord, may the reality of who you are, Christ, become more real and evident in our everyday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's come and worship.